Every single person here has probably missed out on the best thing that ever could have happened to them in their lives. And the second you accept that truth, that the millions of decisions you've already made in your life have probably kept you away from the best thing that could have ever happened in your life. The love of your life, the idea of your life, business opportunity, the money, like all of it. Then I think you can start leaning into the human experience. We don't give ourselves enough room and it goes back to patience. How do you do both? By knowing you have a lot of time to do both. And as far as FOMO, you're never gonna know how it would have been anyway. Plus, the thing I always think about to make myself feel even better about the fact that I've said no to the best things that ever could have happened to me is knowing that it also would have changed the course of my life. So yes, maybe I would have said yes to going out with my friends this night and I would have saw something and it would have led to the idea of my life. But maybe then while I was executing that idea, something bad could have happened. Attention is the number one asset. First of all, it's such a pleasure. It's good to see everybody. You know, 14 years ago, my brother and I started a company. So not too around the same range as you guys. and. The goal was to be able to effectively communicate everywhere in the world. At that point in my life, when I was 13, 14 years ago, when I was 33, 34, I had a sense that I finally started to understand what I was good at. I you know, built my family's uh, retail business up and I realized I loved the marketing more than selling the product and, and I was very good at it and I was doing things early. I was doing, you know, I did e-commerce in 1996 you know, majority of this room wasn't born in 1996. I was doing email marketing in 1999 when I could get 90% of the people on the email list to open the email. I bought Google AdWords the day, the day Google AdWords started. I started a long form YouTube show in February of 2006. You know, I was an early investor in Facebook and Twitter. I was there. and. And so I wanted to start a communications infrastructure because I wanted it to be at my disposal. I thought of it as the most important remote control of my life, that whatever business I started, whatever uh, things I was passionate about, uh, if I wanted, I always kind of knew myself. So I said, you know, if I'm 84 years old and somebody I love is taken by a disease, I'm gonna wanna cure that disease. And yeah, I could raise money, but that's been proven to me as not the most effective way. The most effective way is to get the world to care. And I figured if I could build a communications infrastructure, whether I wanted to sell sneakers or I wanted to cure diseases and everything in between, that that would be important as my remote control. And so I started that company 14 years ago and slowly but surely we're building enough scale that we're able to expand into other places. I've been doing personal content for a long time. I was very early Snapchat. I've always had a pretty strong you know, presence uh, among Snapchat users in Saudi because I was pretty early in making content. So I've always wanted to get here. As you know, I've been to the overall Middle East region a lot. We've tried to get here multiple times. I'm always very in and out. I leave tomorrow like I just got here. You know, um, so. I'm just very excited to be here and obviously I don't have to tell anybody in this room, it has been remarkable to watch the expansion of opportunity and creativity and growth in this country in the last 12 to 18 months and I can't even wrap my head around what the next decade looks like and so, you know, the way I talk about Africa, the way I think about Korea, there's just certain parts that I am interested in investing more time into because I haven't fully gotten in, uh, in there yet because I think you can't storytell unless you respect and listen. And so before I think about those things, I want to spend a lot of time doing those things and so I'm excited to be here. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a pleasure having you here and uh, it's, a, it's an honor, of course. Uh, 
I want to ask you a question if you don't. Please. Please. Um, you know, uh, it seems like a lot of your success, um, and from what you what you just said, happened because of because you're an early adopter. Yeah. You made right decisions with the right company, yeah. right investments early on. Um, AdWords when it first came out, you took advantage of that. You, you made content before people started making content. Uh, you were on YouTube. You are um, you invested in Facebook and how. How did you make these decisions? What helped you make these right decisions? I think two things. When I think about it, because it's the thing that people ask me the most about and and I've spent a good last 10 years trying to understand it. I think there's a lot of things that worked out for me. One, um, I'm incredibly curious. It wasn't something I really knew about myself, but especially when it comes to people. You know, I could have, like, you know, a very different true answer to my last question is because I genuinely like people and I'd like to meet them all. And I think the only way you can do that is if you go. And so I, I've always had a very strong curiosity of people. Even as a child, seven, eight, ten years old, I was disproportionately the kid in the class that had the most friends. I wanted to be friends with everyone. I was interested in everyone. I liked everyone. And so curiosity about people has always been a thing. On top of that, I've always been a salesman. I always wanted to sell candy or lemonade or trading cards. And so if you're gonna sell, you have to pay attention. So I think the things that work for me is I'm curious about people. I'm, I'm very willing to waste time. This is a big one. I think one of the reasons I'm good at what I do is I'm willing to waste time. So I'm curious. I see something. What I saw six years ago, musically. So I see musically. And I see, wow, it's a very young social network. And it's mainly 13 year old girls right now and they're dancing. But what I saw, because I spent 20 hours on it, at a time when people as busy as me wouldn't spend two minutes on it because they would dismiss it, was, huh, I think the music and the app is making it easier for these young girls to make content. As you know, as all of you know, anything that makes it easier for people to make content is always powerful. It's like training wheels when you learn to ride a bike. So I was able to, through my curiosity, which is why I even saw Musical.ly, but then my humility of my own time. I think too many people value their time too much when it's not that valuable. People get fancy. They're like, I'm too busy. I'm like, no, you're not. You're too lazy. You're too, cur- you're too lack of curiosity. You're too uh, audacious. You're too complacent. You're too passive. I, none of those things apply to me when it comes to business and so I think I use those things. And then the other thing is I am not, this will be interesting in a room full of smart creatives. The only thing I have conviction about is that y'all are right and I'm not. The only thing I have conviction of is that the audience and humans are more right than me. I think one of the challenges with very creative people or very ambitious people is you have strong opinions, which are quite powerful, right? The ability to say no or to have conviction is incredibly powerful. I do think a lot of people miss out on opportunity because they don't have the humility to understand the audience is more right than them. And so it's a very fine balance of having conviction of what you see, especially creatively, but also respecting. And, and for you, and for a lot of you, when you're native YouTube, when you're native social, it's a lot more interesting 
because you can't hide. The results speak. You know, when you do a commercial in television, the things we both agree on are dead. Well, you can hide behind the press saying it was a good commercial or you getting an award. But actual consumption in social and digital, numbers don't lie. lie. And so I think that my level of humility, uh, to me, I think regardless of how successful I've been for the last 30 years of my career, tomorrow can become the day that it starts declining if I don't stay humble and curious and uh, I focus on that. I'm also not romantic about how I make, I'm not attached to how I'm making my money now. So if Netflix and YouTube and TikTok are important to me today, I'm always ready for them not to be important tomorrow even if it means that I might have to take a step back financially in the short term. I think the biggest thing that hurts people is they get stuck on how they make their money and then they're not willing to deviate and follow the consumer. They're following their comfort and their wallet. I was gonna say, uh, one of the things that you have been very effective at is you you really focus, G, on uh, pop culture. Yes. Like how to be relevant in culture and pop culture. Tulfaz also- I saw. Is- Very strong at that. They started their company C3, creative- Culture Culture catalyst. catalyst Because they believe that if they're not being a catalyst for culture and relevant to pop culture, so you both have that in common, why is pop culture so important to your DNA? I think, it's this, I think it's potentially the most significant currency that lives in the world. You know, I, I, I almost said it was, and then, you know, you know me well enough, I'm a pretty big fan of love, <laughs> so I think I'll put love ahead of it, but geez, the fact that pop culture is very close to love when I think about the currency of the world, you know, I think, I think it's incredibly naive to not, make a huge commitment to popular culture. Now, to me, I, you know, it's really funny. It's almost like saying like, why is water and oxygen important? That's like, when you ask the question, I'm almost struggling to articulate. I, I'm, I'm shocked that 99% of the world continues to not see this. Like, why is he wearing Vans? Why is he wearing Air Force Ones? Why, why, why? Everything is so important and it's so obvious. Um, I think it, you know, even when you go out to dinner, the friend that knows the emerging you know, artists in music or is most on top of why people are wearing a certain fashion, I think about everything. Like even when I sit in an audience like this, I'm analyzing like the denim jacket or what the hairstyles are. Like it, everything matters to me, everything. Because we all make decisions. We don't think about it. But everyone here literally is subconsciously making decisions on what they're wearing, headphones around the neck. This is all profound to me. It's profound to me. It's how the world works. And so I spend an uncanny amount of time trying to stay on top of which artists, and, and here's why. What's really cool about pop culture is it's like cooking. Pop culture is like cooking. You know why cooking's fascinating? We can all have the same ingredients here, right. but the way we all cook it would be different and some would be delicious and some would not. I think the most interesting thing about pop culture is vans. Vans originally were really made for California surf and skateboard kids, but then with the way the way pop culture works, all of a sudden black kids in the ghetto started wearing it as a cool thing. And I remember watching that 
And look, look what's even happening right now. Like I'm literally getting goosebumps. Look at this, as I'm talking, here's why. The manipulation, like ingredients, like cells coming together of pop culture is the most interesting thing in the world. Something starts as something. It's why I love people in the world. It's why I love what the world's doing now. All of our grandparents lived in a world where the way media was, they told us how to feel about each other. The world used to tell us how to think about each other. Now, because of the way content works, we can discover each other for what it is. I love that, that's the world, that's chemicals, that's the fusion I'm talking about. There's nothing more interesting into why something becomes popular. And you know this, things that become popular today, 20 years ago, were inconceivable. And, and in 20 years, things that we find popular today or how we, everybody will look at photos of the way they look right now in 20 years and laugh at what they were wearing, hairstyles. It's just amazing to me. And so I keep a real attention on that because I like how things come together and create something new. So speaking of things that, you know, uh, becoming popular and how things become popular, um, and you spoke on, on content, and listening to the audience, and that's one of the most important things when creating content. What's your take on creating something new? Creating new trends? Um, you know, giving the audience something they didn't know they needed? Well, I think that that is a forever game that humans are incredibly capable of. This is why we're such a superior species to a worm or a bird. We have that incredible creative power. I believe it is a huge, to me, and I love the way you're asking that question, when I'm paying attention to things, I don't think that that curtails my ability to do something new, I think it empowers it. Because the reality is something new has always been motivated by something in the past. Right. But we are individual humans with our individual experiences and laying at night and in the shower thinking and brush, you know, it's amazing how that works. So I think it's, the most true thing, but I love when people are like, this person's, an, you know, somebody like this person, a movie maker, an artist, an athlete, they're like, this is an original. And I think about it, ah, let me give you a very interesting way to answer this question. How do I think about it? There's a documentary I think all of you should watch about Little Richard. Little Richard is a very famous musician. If you go into it, you'll basically leave watching the documentary thinking, and being completely affected by, and, and this has been long believed by many people who are passionate about music, that Little Richard is truly the father of rock and roll, okay? This black man from Georgia, truly, and you'll watch it, that the Rolling Stones and Elvis, there's unlimited content showing them, saying, I was inspired by Little Richard. However, so this whole movie is a documentary about Little Richard, it's filled with unlimited content from David Bowie to Mick Jagger to Elvis Presley saying to, you know, to, to the Beatles, Little Richard, right? It's clearly a pro, Little Richard is the king of rock and roll. And how does the movie start? In the first 13, 15 minutes of the film, 20 minutes of the film, talking about his childhood, it literally shows you the 11 people that impacted him to become him. It was very small, it's back to the thing I talked about, they were very small ingredients and he had his own DNA, his own life, the timing, right? Timing is everything. I have a funny feeling your wrestling film acts very differently 20 years earlier because the country was in just a different world. The world's different. 
The distribution's right. different. You don't even get it made. A year earlier. Right, right. So I think what's really powerful of how I think about that is that's how the world will always work. And so even though I'm listening to the comments, um, the, I get a lot of credit for doing a lot of original things. When I broke out in my industry, I was so, in wine in America, I was so like, he's so different. I would watch it back to wrestling. I was like, wait a minute, I'm different. And I also love stand-up comedy. Actually, two things we just talked about. I was so affected by Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy and by Randy the Macho Man Savage, the wrestler, that my communication style, you know, I didn't realize it, but then like 10 years later, I'm like, wait a minute, this, I, you know, and so it's clearly not me doing them, it's, it's their little seeds are in me, and then there's 90% me, and that's how I think original thoughts get done. I think, and just building on the question too, like they put out content, movies, TV shows, that type of thing, and people are used to a certain thing from the so they don't want to just do what the consumers want. They want to create for, you know, they're not creating for the market, they're creating for themselves. I think that's right. I, I think that, I think that's right, comma, back to popular culture or listening. If you're doing an hour 30 film and you've decided you're gonna do it about this subject matter that none of the comments have told you that you wanted. However, in the writing or in the improv of the acting or in the directing or producing of the film, if you're making three to four references from things that you know are happening in popular culture, it's going to land. That's exactly what we did. And so I think of that as like, right, there you go. So I think of that as taking advantage of what you do, what they do for a living and doing so much content and understanding pop culture, but when they go to a bigger production like they've done, it's using those elements as spices and side dishes, not the main meal, because the main dish is what they wanted to make. I would like everyone in the audience to get a chance to ask Gary something. I mean, if you have other questions, feel free. Uh, no, but no, no, we can no, do it together. Sure. Anyone want to ask Gary something? How to fight the feeling of impatience when you have too many plans? Thank you for asking me that. It's you're, you're right. It's my number one. It's my number one. It's my number one. It's my number one because it goes back to listening. Thirty percent of my hundreds of thousands of direct messages that I get a year. Uh, if not millions at this point, are based on this. You know, look, I think there's a couple things. Even the way you set up the story, to your point, one of the things that I know is that the generation of parents that parented you, and definitely their parents, and on and on, that there is an overvaluing of status and profession as something that those parents brag to their friends and their parents about. So you have an entire generation of Asian and brown kids and Eastern European kids who are pushed, who are pushed very heavily into engineering, into medicine. medicine, into law, into the cliche things. And so this is pounded into people's heads. What I believe that does is creates an incredible vulnerability for those kids to resent their parents, to not be happy, and that's why I produce so much content about that. What it also does is when you are a student, you are on a track, you're a robot. You go up every year, you get grades, you go up. You go to, you go to bigger school, higher school, university. It, it's, it's a fake game. Life is a real game. Life is a real game. So people are impatient because the first 18, 22 years of their life, every year they move up a level. It's just, a, it's like playing a video game. Then you get to real life. 
And real life is not linear like that. And those kids, even though they might have resentment or anger or have reconciled with their parents about don't worry about other people's opinions, you just want me to be a doctor because your sister, your best friend, meanwhile, they themselves are worried about other people's opinions. There is no reason to be impatient if you are learning every day and feel like you're on the right track. The only thing that can dictate that is outside forces, right? Because the reality is if you're happy and you feel like you're learning every day and you're on the right track, the only other parts of the world are outside opinions and the things that you physically want. Do you want a Lamborghini? Do you want a nice apartment? Do you want a watch? My argument is the faster you can get away from wanting physical items and wanting validation from other human beings that are not living your life, the quicker you lack the ability to be impatient. You have to ask yourself, and I believe the reason people want things 95% of the time is for outside validation. I'm not so sure that people want a Porsche for the Porsche or for what people think about them when they have a Porsche. And so I'm very passionate about outside voices I think if you, you know, when I hear your story of like you wanted to do this, then you were pushed this way. Now you found yourself back and you're this young. And I know that people that are 27 don't think they're young because 27 you're starting to smell 30. And when you're 20, 30 feels super old. My cousin, my cousin worked for my father when I finished university. I was 22, he was 30. And that, I remember the first day I walked into the store and I've been working with him for a long time, but I remember when I was 22 and he was 30, I thought he was a thousand. <laughs> 30, when you're 22, how old are you my friend? How old? 25. When you're 25, when you're 23, when you're 22, 30 feels old, like it feels like a big number. But when you're 47, you know how laughable that is. Because at 47, I feel 25. I feel like, I remember 25 like yesterday, it was the year 2000. Um, I had to go to the store and make sure Y2K didn't break the computers. I remember the day I was his age, and when I tell you inside my stomach, inside my soul, inside my ambition, inside my dreams and hopes and wants, I feel exactly like he does. So you can imagine how not worried I am at 27, but you have to start genuinely looking yourself in the mirror and asking how much of your impatience is predicated on outside opinions. And I would argue almost all of it. When I see others succeeding, I ask myself, why am I not at that place yet? You have the wrong definition of success. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think you're right, but I would also ask you, if you're in the process of accomplishing that, you're actually in the best place. The process of accomplishing it is often better than accomplishing it. I would argue for people that have pulled off making films that if we really ask them, the day of the seed of the idea is even more exciting than the day it airs. When you're a maker, the process is more enjoyable. Making it, like as a matter of fact, almost all of my most challenging days is when something I was excited about has been finished. Many think it's the day. It's when you sell it, it's when it happens, it's when you're awarded. It's not the fun part. I understand you wanna make a movie, it makes sense. I'm just asking you, you don't know anything about that person's journey. You're making assumptions. And more importantly, you need to figure out, here's a good one. This is a very unique take on what you're saying. I'm curious if this is gonna bring you value. 
I'm gonna go in a very interesting place. Dustin, you've never heard this from me. It's something I've been thinking a lot about. I've always been fascinated by perfectionism. You know, people are like, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Gary, you don't get it, I'm a perfectionist. And I always knew that wasn't true. I always knew that it was insecurity, that they were scared to put it out. That's why they were using, per- but, but, be- but saying you're insecure is not as cool as saying you're a perfectionist. But it was the same game. I've always been fascinated by people who position themselves as being tough on themselves, especially when they are quick to bring out that everybody around them always says that they're too tough on themselves because it means that they've been effectively storytelling to the people around them that they're too hard on themselves, which is actually a very on paper admirable kind of positioning. I would, I would ask yourself when you go to sleep tonight and you think about this, are you interested in positioning yourself to the people around you as someone who is hard on themselves? or are you hard on yourself? Do you understand? It's, it's interesting work. Yeah. Um, you have to look inside. Because I think it's a smart way to position yourself as a protection mechanism to give you time on your journey so you're not judged while you're on your journey. I thought you would. I like it too. It's something I've been thinking about. Anyone else have a question for Gary? Please. Please. Sometimes people get intimidated by my facial expressions. Do you have any advice on how to approach that? Yeah, so let me think a couple things. One, on the second one, it's, you know, I love that you are aware of that. All you need to do is act on that empathy and insight. Meaning, if you are quick to physically react, if somebody's throwing an idea out and you're like, or like whatever it may be, if you feel like that's detrimental to you, and I'm sure you're, you're a human being, you also wanna be empathetic to how it makes the other person feel, you just need to be on the offense to communicate the context. Meaning, one thing I do a lot, I'm also very intuitive, very quick. If I feel like I react to something and I can tell that it does not land, I will immediately recontextualize it in the moment. I think you need to use your words. I think you need to use your words. Your words will offset your face, but you have to be active on it. You have to acknowledge, if, if, you're, if you're recognizing that, you need to be aggressive about that. Especially when you know you're thinking the opposite. The first thing I would tell you to do is, when you're feeling the opposite, uh, when you're positive about something, you're excited about that, you can never leave an interaction without, without over-communicating your enthusiasm. Because that will then offset that scenario. Look, the first one, to your point. How to lead conversation with strict parents who don't support what I'm doing. The only thing that ever works is understanding, the, to your point, the move out, that's a Band-Aid. Get into a fight with them, that's a Band-Aid. Set them straight, that's a Band-Aid. The only thing I've ever seen really work in this game is understanding the alternative will create a worse relationship with you and your parents, meaning, The biggest challenge kids have that love their parents or are frustrated with their parents of not accepting their journey is understanding that if they, the child, compromises and appeases the parent, that within a decade, you will have such high levels of resentment towards your parents that your relationship for the rest of your lives will be negative. And so what you're deciding, because you love your parents, 
is that you're willing to bear your teeth and grind it out and be inconvenienced and struggle with it in the short term for the greater good. Because in this scenario, 50% of the time it works out and parents always then rewrite history and are very proud and you know how it is. And even if it doesn't work out, even if the child that's on a journey does not succeed, they have put themselves in a position to not blame their parents because they gave it their full effort and they'll never have that resentment or regret. So I think the answer to your question is in your scenario where you feel like you don't have a lot of options and you're not gonna change their mind with words, the only way you're gonna do it is by changing their mind with actions. It's just gonna take you 10 years, this goes into patience, it's just gonna take you 10 years and you have to, in your mind, go very high level and say, I'm willing for it to not be ideal for the next three, five, 10 years because if I quit this and do what I want them to do, well, there's no outcome that's gonna be healthy. Gary, that was telling me the story today about him and him and I started creating content and they were like sitting in the rooms and filming and editing and doing these comedy shows and their parents were like, what are you guys doing? Of course. Didn't expect it until the content went viral on WhatsApp and then the parents, somebody shared it with the parents and then he's like, oh, that's my son who made that. Of course. Like I said, I saw Zach laughed. Parents are incredible in rewriting history. Oh, I've always believed you can do it. (laughs) You know, it's, look, parents love their, as a parent, you love your children so much that it makes you delusional. You love them so much. You love them so much that you are not rational. And parents do overvalue other parents' opinions too much. That's why I hope this generation, all of you, the biggest thing that frustrates me is kids live it like almost all your parents had the same frustrations with their parents, but then they're doing it to you. So don't do it to your kids. That's right, my, my hope is that this generation becomes the generation that isn't a hypocrite. Breaks the cycle. Breaks the cycle. Any other questions? How can I figure out if I have the idea for the next mega hit? Yeah, there, there's only two ways to do it. One, the way they've always done it, which is blind conviction, you don't know and you just have this burning desire to tell the story and you just gotta go. The new way that we're all very fortunate to do is there is subtle ways to play with it in social where you don't give it away but you're able to thematically get a feel if there's something that's resonating. And I think in reality, everything in the future, given the structure we have, is gonna look like a little bit of both, right? Like there's a reason, many people will do a little bit of both. Um, You know, my team, when I think about my content, Dustin's sitting here, he knows how true this is. There are, we have a very good understanding of best practices. The first three seconds, the thumbnail, what time to, like we're very much in the science of the art and we're in the art of the art. Yet, there are many things that I said here today, definitely what I said to you, because I've never said it before, that when the team will take the raw footage right now and they'll clip it into best practices. So they'll try to edit what we just did for a minute and I'll reply to the team when they give it to me and say, no, no, that one was special to me, play it in its full. And it'll be three minutes and 19 seconds and I know that a lot of people won't watch it. I know that that video will get 47,000 views instead of 800,000, but I don't care because I want to say it. Got it? And so, you know, though now there's, there's a very interesting line there of commercial success Right? right, with 
like your own passions. You know, you obviously get a lot more freedom long term to do what you want with commercial success. But I do think the way, like, you know, when I think about the exciting things I heard about cinema here and when I think about what's going on with Netflix, I think we could probably all agree here, we're probably not very far away from, and this has been flirted with for a long time, but I believe in the next 15 years, we will have a massive hit of direct-to-consumer movie that will really transcend our industry. I believe someone that looks the profile of y'all, when I see this crew, I'm like, okay, that's an evolution of what I see when I go to Hollywood, that's more blended into what I believe in and what they're doing. It's, a, it's back to that oh, blend, right? So mm-hmm. cool. I think that somewhere in the next 15 years, maybe, an, maybe y'all or maybe an evolution of what you're up to, somebody's gonna sell 40 million copies of a movie, $9 on a website. The technology will be there that they could actually get 40 million different people. Like The things that we all know is like the blockchain's gonna be profound. The blockchain right now is confused because of NFTs and the scamming and all, but like the technology is profound for what I just said. That on the blockchain versus the internet is a whole different thing, right? Because you can prove it. Like there's just so many things going augmented reality, AI, VR, the metaverse. Like there's a lot going on. So I think that we're all going to be able to be in a place, and I think you're going to end up doing both. I think every creative person in, in the future and starting now will probably end up doing both doing some stuff for commercial success, and just like I'm doing with my content, many things I do because I know it's going to work and I believe in it. And we'll do it the best way we can and I'll get four million views. But I'm very proud and I show it to my team because I want them to learn from me. I'm like, no, 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 I know this is not gonna do well, but for the seven people that, I mean, I know the exchange you and I had about that, I'm too hard on myself. That's a conversation, because I study this stuff. What I said to you is not what people talk about when they talk about that. I know that there's 29 people on earth that are gonna watch that video and it's gonna start, they're gonna be ready to hear that. A hundred of them are gonna be like, no Gary, because they they're not ready, right? But for the 29 that are ready, and it's worth it, and I think that's how you have to think about your sci-fi thing. Is this something that's, that you can't go to the ground in a hundred years, God willing, that you never made it, that you'll be devastated? Or are you okay because you got nine other stories that you're equally curious by? Those are things you have to decide for yourself. The film industry in Saudi Arabia is just starting. Is now the time to experiment or to figure out how to build it? I I think they're one and the same. Because I think what you're saying from experimenting is really the thing that fascinates all of us as storytellers, which is, do you know how many films were made that had all the science and polling and analytics behind it and flopped. Math is not undefeated when it has to dance with art. You understand? Math is undefeated when it plays with itself. But when it plays with art, it can lose too. So I think what I would say is, on both of the ways you asked it, both should go as hard and as fast as it can because this is unprecedented times, right? Whether you experiment or you go with something tried and true or however you define that, the fact that you all starting with the founders, have put in the 11 years, relationships that were formed before came together. Like, look, it's really exciting for me who likes to root for people to know the position you're in at the time that you're in. And I think, I think for all of you, for all of you, the timing in this incredible country, in this genre, is unprecedented. It's really special and so I, I think this is, 
you don't want to do what a lot of people end up doing, which is in 30 years realizing how unprecedented it was, and you're like, why did I leave at six o'clock and just go play video games? Like this was the time I should have went as hard as possible. There will never be a time like this again because people are gonna come. Like use this moment, what am I doing here? People are gonna come. This is an unprecedented time. Go as hard as you can. So you said that you know, maybe you should have conviction or something if you want to experiment, you have hard conviction, you have this gut feeling. Yes. That needs, that needs, yes. It needs to come out regardless of yes. the commercial or maybe return. Yes. Um, how can we make uh, maybe an educated guess using, you know, living in the, in, in the social age where we're connected, where we can yeah. use data, we can use feedback. How, what, how would you? Yeah, let's use the film that you educated me on that did well. Right. There is, especially with your network and how you understand it, there was in, there's an incredible opportunity for you to disguise what you're working on yet still talk about the genre of wrestling and put that content into social with not the same characters, with not the same stuff, but you can actually get validation to the interest around a genre by putting it out there in disguised form. I do that quite a bit. You just could. It's not a perfect match, but the reality is is you can. You really can. You really can do clips and little mini, you know, like, you know, um, one, two, three, four minute clips that play with the themes of the show. Or I'll give you a good example. Maybe when you were writing it, you know, I don't know the film, obviously, but maybe there's a big storyline of the relationship of the wrestler with his grandmother. I'm just making that up. Well, there's a lot of ways you could do interesting social content to 33 million people in this country of, of around relationships with uncle, relationships with grandfather, relationships with grandmother, and actually look at the data and the feedback and be like, wait a minute, actually, nobody's really talking about the, the uncle dynamic and it seems like that really caught a lot of people's attention. Maybe let's rewrite it and make it about the uncle's relationship instead of the grandma's. That's how I think it can affect it. What to do if you start losing your authenticity? I love that. You know, I've always felt that the thing that helps me with that the most is having the capacity to step away. And step away is not as literal as you know moving out of a house or stepping away. It doesn't mean you have to step away and go for six months to the mountains and come back. It means stepping away in actually creating more time for yourself to think and be around the elements that were who you were. I'll give you an example with me. When I feel like I'm like a little bit more detached from the center, I tend to go back to spending more times with my friends from high school or college, or starting to narrow in my circle, usually the reason you're getting away from your authentic place is the human relationships around you. And they don't even have to be bad. I'll give you a great example that might be similar to yours. I realized three and a half years ago that I was getting worse at marketing because I hired too many people from agencies. And even though I was the alpha and the CEO and dictating, their energy was starting to bleed into me. And so what did I do? I made a big to-do about it and said, I'm not as good as I used to be. Started spending more time on my content. Started, I had the power to do this. Started to trim out some of the people that I thought were bringing too much of the tradition in a respectful, nice way. Um, I think you have to protect your energy. You have to really, no different than a lot of us going through work, 
you need to figure out what in the job, what in your personal relationships, what in the content that you're consuming, what in the people that you're talking to, who, who can you re-jigger and how do you get into that place? You know, like it, it's getting back to those roots. I, I think it, it's funny how you asked the question. I would spend as much time as possible on who were you with and what were you consuming at the time that you were like the way you wish you were. One of the more interesting emails I get from people that consume my content is titled like, I'm back with you. Now that I've been doing it for a long time, I get a lot of people who say, you know, I, I stopped watching your content five years ago and I've started consuming it again six months ago and it's really helping me and it's a version of what I'm talking to you about right now, which was they reset and tried to think about when they were happier or when they were more what they want to be. What were they doing? What were they consuming and who were they with? And I think that's, a, that's an audit you need to consider. Does that make sense in any way? It, it's hard. You know, the thing that's hard for all of us is it's in the subconscious. But I, I think that that's what I would do if I was, when I'm in a rut I, like that, I try to go back and like, I do funny things like I go garage sailing. Um, I remember one time specifically, I even worked in my dad's store for a day just to, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I know it's, I notice how I asked you, does that make sense? I knew you were gonna, like, it's not easy what I'm saying, but I do think if you can go very literal and say, okay, I was most authentic self when I was watching these kind of videos because you can, even though you're a different man than you were five years ago, three years ago, you can start to do that. It's something we're thinking about. We have one last question and then we need to, How do I balance seeking more opportunities and striving toward my number one goal? I would say that every single person in this room, I'll let you finish the second question, but let me jump on this one. Every single person here has probably missed out on the best thing that ever could have happened to them in their lives. And the second you accept that truth, that the millions of decisions you've already made in your life have probably kept you away from the best thing that could have ever happened in your life. The love of your life, the idea of your life, the business opportunity, the money, like all of it. Then I think you can start leaning into the human experience. I'm telling you that's what it is. Like we, we, we don't give ourselves enough room and it goes back to patience. Like, you know, how do you do both? By knowing you have a lot of time to do both. And as far as FOMO, you're never gonna know how it would have been anyway. Plus, the thing I always think about to make myself feel even better about the fact that I've said no to the best things that ever could have happened to me is knowing that it also would have changed the course of my life. So yes, maybe I would have said yes to going out with my friends this night and I would have saw something and it would have led to the idea of my life. But maybe then while I was executing that idea, something bad could have happened. Maybe that would have brought me to a meeting in LA and I wasn't paying attention and a car hit me and I'd be dead right now. I think people are fascinating in their inability to understand how much of life you don't control and that like everything is, everything is FOMO. You need to flip it. Instead of think, thinking of it literally, you need to think of it much bigger. Like that's happening every day. Like every, like do you, you understand? Like you're thinking about it as like, should I go do this project? Should I do this? You're looking at the big things. I think it's even if you left your house five minutes earlier tomorrow, your life would be different. It's really, really big, you know what I mean? Like, I know it may sound silly, but what I think it's done for me and when I see why it works for others, it actually liberates you into not thinking that you have to make these perfect decisions. I don't think I make any good decisions.
I'm being serious. Like, I, I just think I'm making decisions to the best of my ability at that moment and sometimes it's gonna be very good and sometimes it's not gonna be, but you're putting too much pressure. There's, listen to the questions. We're just very good at putting pressure on ourselves to achieve something that's not achievable. For what? Actually, you know what? Based on the questions, and then I'll, I'll let you ask your second. I have one very good recommendation. If you can find yourself in the next year or two to have a conversation with somebody extremely elderly that is not a family member of yours, do it. Maybe you can even have like a grandparents exchange program. <laughs> I really mean this. I think that the thing that I do well is I, m- my parents always told me stories as a child that when I was three and four I'd go outside and I'd hang out with 90 year old people and like genuinely like hang out with them. And I always thought it was a funny story and then as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I think I do believe in this old soul stuff, like you're attracted to certain energies. I think all I'm doing now is telling you the things that 90 year olds know. I think you need more of that in your life. Like, like, you know, I think the way to attack truly having FOMO is flipping it and understanding everything is FOMO, everything's in play. You're missing out on everything all the time, which then will make you comfortable with it. What was the second part? Yeah, like how, how open should you really be with the world? Like how transparent That's should you be? As transparent as your bosses allow. Right, the answer to that is like at VaynerMedia, at my company I can tell you that people are pretty transparent because I've established in 15 years that I don't fire people if they insult me. There's a lot of places where people get fired for the smallest things because the leadership is either insecure or traditional. I think the reality is, is there's a lot of ways to think about it. The literal answer to your question is as much as the leadership has allowed you to be. The deeper answer is as much as you want to be because do you want to be in a place where you don't feel like you can be transparent? On the flip side, I think some of the modern thoughts that we all have, like the world works on non-full transparency. You know, (laughs) privacy is valuable too. Like holding in certain thoughts has value as well. So I think what the world struggles with is balance. And so, you know, I think, I think, What I'm worried about with the word transparency is that a lot of people don't realize that they're weaponizing it for judgment. I I also think too, Gary comes from a context at VaynerMedia and how he believes that it's the role of the leader or the manager to make the employees feel safe. So safety is a very big thing in leadership. So in in the Arab business culture, it's not that- In the the American business culture. (laughs) Good news, in the American business culture, it's not common. Yeah, but just like that feeling of, can we be transparent? Like, there's always this feeling that should we share or not share? Should we do the full way or not? So there's always that feeling. So by, the, just, by the way. I, mean, I, I faced living and working here for 20 years. By the way, so. if you interviewed all 2,000 employees at VaynerMedia, they'd tell you the same thing. They have it better than everyone else, but when you are an employee, you're always thinking, is this good or bad for me, for my job? That's just the reality of like, it's also being a public figure. I literally am thinking at every time that I'm one sentence away from having a problem, right? It's just, it's the, rea- like, it's the way the world works. To me, to me, I think the, the bigger question is, are you building the relationships that allows your transparency to land, 
right? The key to that question is, you don't want to be transparent for the sake of transparency. You want to be transparent for the sake of trying to make the thing better. To me, building relationships with leaders, contemporaries, your direct reports, parallel to you, above you, below you, I think we need more relationship building in the world. And I think that's a thing to be thinking about. If I could just build Please, on that, of course. additional nuance. It's also about trust. Of course. Like you want to feel that the person you're being transparent with, you can trust them with your either vulnerability and to, and or to the point, you can't form trust without having a real relationship, relationship. right? Yeah. So this kind of all hand in hand, and I think that's it's a really good question, and it's also something that I feel like. And Gary's always uh, talking about being and. It's not either or. It's always and. Like, can you trust and develop the relationship so that you have that sense of trust? I think. It's a, it's, a, it's a forever challenge for everybody. It's a huge challenge around the world. It's, you know, as we travel the world, as I travel the world, the thing I'm most interested in is cultures, subcultures, traditions. Every single part of the world thinks their part is different than everybody else, but all of it ladders to the same human truth. You know, because you all know this, there's Saudi Arabia, then there, Let's start even higher. There's the Middle East, then there's Saudi Arabia, then there's your company acts different than the company next door. Then it's your actual boss is even different than some of the bosses in the company. There's always more context. And I think that's what you need to be thinking about. The answer is based on the relationship and the DNA of the people you want to have that conversation with. But back to who you're sitting next to and a good theme for everyone, Words are powerful. And using words is a really important thing. Most people have unhappy professional careers because they don't use their words. 